I can already see your face lighten up. I was <laughs> shocked. I can shocked. already see your face like you're like, oh, oh. <laughs> Welcome back to Royals Weekly. I am your host, Marcus Mead, and joining me as always, the forgotten third member of Peaches and Herbs. It would have gone, it was going to be Peaches and Herbs and Mike, but they realized that his erotic interpretive dance didn't really fit the act well. My brother, Mike. <laughs> My dancing is erotic. That's really the only way to describe it. I don't know who Peaches and Herb are. Is? You don't know who Peaches and Herb are? No. They were like a R&B duo in the 80s, 70s, 80s, something like that. They had a couple of big songs. They had a couple What's big songs. Big song? They had a couple big ones. Uh, okay, I don't know. I don't let know. Let me check real quick. Uh, maybe I'd know it if I heard it, but I'd be in an R and B trio. I'd do that all day long. What, what, I mean, something real silky and <laughs> yeah, smooth from you. You've heard "Shake Your Groove" thing, <laughs> I'm sure. Oh yeah, that's ja- okay. That's all right, nerve, yes, I'd be in that band in a second. <laughs> They're right? still cashing checks off that bad boy. Uh, that's right. So yeah, why not? You know. Uh, on this week's episode, we'll recap a stellar week of baseball from the Royals, dig deep into their recent success. Hey guys, I don't know if you've noticed, but uh, Royals won a few games the last couple weeks. Pretty exciting. Pretty exciting stuff. Uh, and then we'll re- preview this week's episodes. Uh, we did get a, a review I want to read. We got a review. We'll read that right off the top here. Uh, very nice one from somebody called Exeter72. Uh, and the, the title of the review is Best Royals Podcast. Again, that is just... Jeez. Mm. We're doing great. Mm. Mm. <laughs> and so love that. It feeds us. Uh, this is uh, Exeter72 says, as a West Coast Royals fan, I rely on podcasts to get my Royals fixed. And this is the best Royals podcast out there. They provide insightful analysis, but keep it light and entertaining as a real feat given how this season has gone. I look forward to every episode and have made it a part of my Monday morning routine. I hear a lot of people say coast to coast, coast to coast, baby. Uh, well, we got we got some fans <laughs> down in Chile listening too. I think always a Chilean contingent. Uh, in there. That's right. Uh, yes. Uh, Royals uh, Weekly is nationwide, nationwide, international. You know. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for that, Exeter seventy two. We really appreciate it. Be like Exeter seventy two. Go out, give us a rating on Apple uh, Podcasts, on Spotify, on all that stuff. Uh, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, and we'll make sure to try and read it here on the show. Uh, follow Mike on all the social medias. Mike's killing it over on uh, Threads. Go go follow that. Big Threads thanks account. to the people who interacted with me on Threads this week. I know or this I week s- that was awesome. Thank you guys. I <laughs> saw some replies. That was great. Uh, so a little discourse being created on Threads over there. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook as well. That is always a great time. We want to mention, of course, that Royals Weekly is brought to you by All In Physical Therapy. For one-on-one personalized physical therapy, we choose All In Physical Therapy. They took excellent care of our mother after surgery left her with pain and limited mobility in her arm. She loves to work out, be active. She actually invented that flipping a tire thing. Yeah. That was mm-hmm. her. That was her move first. Mm-hmm. Uh, the excellent yeah. specialized care she got at All In Physical Therapy had her back to being active in no time. She's actually got a lot of farm-based strength building techniques that she's developed over the years. That whole Rocky montage in Rocky Four that was her, that was just taken right from her life. That's, okay, that's just right from her life. Really, <laughs> really uh, stolen, basically. Uh, All In Physical Therapy knows how to help athletes recover. It's owned and operated by Lisa Summit's own Tommy Freevert, a former Arena League football player, Northwest Missouri State Bearcat, and a hell of a guy. They have offices in both Blue Springs and Lee Summit, so get over there to work with Tommy. 
Tell your doctor you want to do your physical therapy with the best of the best at All In Physical Therapy. To learn more, give them a call at 816-427-5300. That's 816-427-5300. Or visit their website at allin-pt.com. That's A-L-L-I-N-PT.com. We're going to start the review of last week with roster news like we always do, but this roster news, we're going to finish covering the trade deadline. You'll remember last week's episode, only the Nikki Lopez trade had happened whenever we started uh, covered the trade deadline for our spotlight segment. So we're going to wrap up talking about the trade deadline this week during the roster news segment. Really only two significant things to talk about, and that is that the Royals traded Ryan Yarbrough to the Los Angeles Dodgers for... 26-year-old utility player Devin Mann and 19-year-old outfielder Derlin Figueroa. Also, they traded Scott Barlow to the San Diego Padres for Henry Williams. He's a right-handed, 21-year-old right-handed pitcher. They did also trade cash for reliever Tucker Davidson, but those three trades basically represent, along with the Araldis Chapman deal, yes, Mike? You forgot the uh, Quas trade for Nelson uh, Velasquez. Oh, I forgot the Quas trade for Nelson Velasquez. We'll start with that one because that one happened first chronologically, which is why I forgot it. Besides the oldest Chapman trade, which we've already covered. Uh, first, they traded Jose Quas for outfielder Nelson Velasquez from the Cubs. Mike, what are your thoughts on that Quas Velasquez trade? What are you thinking about Velasquez as a player? You, I can already see your face lighten up. I was <laughs> shocked. I can already shocked. see your face like You're like, oh, oh. <laughs> I was shocked that they were able to get a player the caliber of Nelson Velasquez for Jose Quas. I mean, just especially from a team like the Cubs, who, don't get me wrong, Quas could maybe help a contending team, but the, the Cubs aren't contending. They're not, or I guess they kind of are in the Central. The National League Central is kind of shitty, right? I haven't paid much attention. I know great. the Cardinals it's, are doing terrible. It's better than the AL Central, but it's not tremendous. Yeah, so I, I, that one was a real uh, puzzler for me because I think Nelson Velasquez has value. I think he has the opportunity to be a pretty good, uh, pretty good player. His strikeout numbers are a little high, but his walk numbers are really high too. He has a little bit of pop. He's a decent. He's a well, let's call him a fringy athlete. He's not a bad athlete. He's a decent athlete. Can play. Uh, usually plays the corner outfield positions. And I really thought they got tremendous value back. He's got a few more years of control. I thought it was maybe like a, it does, it wasn't like a, a rule five thing either because he was already on the 40 man in, in Chicago. Cause he got some major league time this year. So I don't know what the hell they were doing. <laughs> Jose Quas for him, but I will take it. Um, if you have any ideas on why that happened, please let me know. I was really happy with the return for the Quas trade. Yeah, the thing you love about Velasquez is there's power potential there. There's mm-hmm. probably 60-grade power potential out of Velasquez. He's a guy who last year got something around 200 plate appearances, I think, at the major league level, and then this year had only gotten like 30-some. And so, you don't know, maybe they just had a glut of outfielders there. They didn't see him as having a ton of potential. They were too worried about the strikeouts, and they were like, we got to get this guy off our, our off the 40-man and try and get some some relief help in here. It's interesting to me that they wanted a guy like Quas, a guy who, if you're going to say, if you're going to point to one asset for him and say like, that's the thing that he's going to really trade on, it's the ability to get ground balls and keep the ball out of the air. And so what they might think is we need a guy who's going to limit home runs in our ballpark here at Wrigley. And so get us this guy who is a, basically a ground ball specialist. Now, I don't know, right? Like, cause I'm, I'm with you. I actually think the Royals won this trade big time. I think the fact that Velasquez has basically five years of control left, at least five plus years, big time power potential. Yeah. He strikes out too much right now, but this year he's actually limited those to some degree. 
you know, we'll see if they, if they can fix that one thing with him, limit the strikeouts. He's a potential middle of the order bat. That's what's weird about him. He is like, he hits the ball really hard. It's he could maybe lift the ball a little bit more than he does. He has some issues right now with, I think he hits too many ground balls right now. People, uh, David Lesky uh, on Twitter really likened him to Edward Olivares. And, you know. Oh, don't say that because I'm going to compare somebody else to him later. <laughs> well, here's what's weird. He's not as bad of a defender as Edward Olivares. Yeah. The, the numbers don't love him. He played a lot of center field. He's not a center fielder. The numbers don't like him in center field. They don't love him in the corners either. But I think last year he was zero outs above average in right field, meaning he was just league average, which is fine, right? If you're going to hit well enough, you can be just average in the outfield. And so he's the type of guy who it could very easily see. Imagine if Edward Olivares were an average defender in the corners, he'd be a quality player for you. Now imagine if Edward Olivares had a little bit more power and I mean game power there. I'm not saying Velasquez hits the ball any harder than Olivares because Olivares hits it pretty hard, but he might loft it just a little bit more than Olivares does. That's Olivares' thing. If, if Olivares lofted more, he would probably be like a you like know a 20, 20 home, home run, run guy. guy. Yeah, mm-hmm. he would. Velasquez has the potential to be a 20 to 25 home run guy with the type of power that he has. The fact that they were willing to give him up, he's still only like 24 years old. Uh, maybe 25. I'm not exactly sure, but man, what a great get for the Royals. Jose Quas, a guy who really was not in their future as a reliever, flipped him for, uh, Velasquez and they need outfielders right now. They are not settled, especially in the corners in, in the outfield. And so Melendez is not settled in my mind. Uh, Drew Waters is not settled in my mind. Obviously Blanco is a good bench piece maybe, but not settled as a starter. You know, they have, they have question marks in the outfield right now great to get a guy at the trade deadline for someone like Jose Quas. That could be there. I mean, in my mind, that was the best trade that they made at this deadline. Other than him, the Royals also traded pitcher Ryan Yarber to the Los Angeles Dodgers for Devin Mann, 26 year old utility player. Devin Mann is having a really good offensive season in AAA right now. He is 26. So some people are like, okay, it's a little, a little old to be a prospect, you know, but he's hitting 307, 402 and 541 as a slash line. That's right. He's got a 943 OPS in, in AAA, or he did. I don't know if he's played a game yet. Uh, he did coming into today. Uh, Derlin Figueroa, 19 year old that people are really excited about a lot of pl- uh, plate discipline so far. They're thinking the power will come. He's still in the complex league. Mike, what are your thoughts on this Ryan Yarbrough to the Dodgers trade? Well, you look at both of those players, they're going to tell you what the Dodgers system really does. Both of those guys have on-base ability. And that's kind of what I've likened Devin Mann to was an Edward Olivares, but with on-base ability. And I really like that. Um, a lot of people are saying, ah, Devin Mann at best, he's a fourth outfielder. I honestly think, and he's not going to light it up in the field either. Devin Mann is not an elite athlete by any by any stretch of the word, uh, you know, but he can play a competent uh, left field if you need him to. Uh, DH, you know, can probably play first base. I would imagine with some practice. Um, I just love the on base ability. Imagine if you had an Edward Olivares, but, a, but he also walked quite a bit, you know, I think anybody would really like that, especially if you're saying, well, we can at least platoon him and get him in there against left-handed pitching. And so I'm really excited about what they can possibly do with Devin Mann. Yeah. Well, and here's the other thing you're going to have control of Devin Mann all through the prime of his career here. Okay, so usually hitters roughly around their age 27 season hit their prime. You are going to be having him at the best of his his hitting life. And so, you know, for the next six years, you find out if Devin Mann can be a contributor at the major league level in some capacity. Maybe it's a platoon guy. That's fine. 
but I think there's real value there, especially trading him for a Ryan Yarbrough, who I think Yarbrough was really good this year in, in the times that he pitched, but he wasn't going to be here long-term. He's not the kind of guy you probably always want in your starting rotation. You want him as more of a swing man. And so I, I like this trade too. I'm going to be honest. And, you know, we, we were not, we, we bashed that Nicky Lopez trade, trade, I think rightfully. Um, yeah. And I think they did really good with both the Quash trade and the Yarbrough trade. Yeah. Four trades made really, if you don't count the Davidson one, which I don't really, um, four trades made, uh, if, well, it depends on what you count, but I, I really like this Yarbrough trade as well. Uh, I like the Arbor trade. I like the Quash trade. I like the Barlow trade, which we'll talk about here in a second. I think Devin Mann is somebody that people are sleeping on a little bit because he's 26 years old. But I watched, I've watched a little bit of video on Devin Mann over the last week. And boy, I love the plate appearance he takes. It is disciplined. It is just, he controls the strike zone really, really well. When he hits the ball, it has pop to it. There is pop in there. Now, it's more doubles pop than it is home run pop. But the guy's going to hit, you know, 15 to 20 home runs for you, probably maybe even 25 as he you know, builds strength and gets older. You know, he might be a, somewhere in the 20 to 25 range. And then if he can get on base at a 370 clip, the major league level and, and hit those doubles and hit those home runs. I don't really care where he plays in the field. He actually plays a lot of second base for the Dodgers organization, plays third base, sometimes first base left field. If he can be a guy who can sort of rotate and give guys like Massey a day off and then Garcia or whoever's playing third a day off and then Pasquantino a day off and then go out to left field, great. As long as he's hitting, we got a place for him in Kansas City. And it looks like he can hit. I do want to talk a little bit about Figueroa. I've seen a little video on him. Good left-handed swing. Still real young, 19 years old. He's hitting three or two, 232, 372, 376 down in the complex leagues. As you can see, very high on base percentage, very high walk rate. Uh, not hitting for a ton of power right now, but he is only 19 years old. People think that the power will come. Sweet left-handed swing. I mean, just a textbook left-handed swing from this kid. So I'm excited about that as well. Like you said, Mike, the, some of these trades we really liked. We bash on that Lopez trade, but it's the only one I'm looking at that I'm like, mm, that one's not any good. But the others, they really took advantage of some great things, including the Scott Barlow trade. A guy who had a year left beyond this year. Uh, they traded Scott Barlow to the San Diego Padres for Henry Williams, 21-year-old red-handed pitcher. He's a former third-round pick. He's got a 5.74 ERA right now in low A, but he is coming off of Tommy John and still recovering from that. And so it's taking a little time to get his stuff and command back where it was. Mike, what do you think of this Henry Williams trade? Well, it's a, it's a little bit of a gamble. But if it works, it's, I, it has the opportunity to pay off really big because I think a lot of people like the stuff that uh, Hen old Hank Williams has here. Hank. Um, <laughs> and, and you know, he he looks like a really athletic guy up there on the mound, which is good. You like that because those guys tend to have a little bit easier time making adjustments. Um, I, I kind of equate it to the, the Cole Reagans thing. Now, he's not close to the level that Reagans was when we picked up Reagans from the Rangers. But... Coming off of Tommy John, people really like the spin rates. People really like the athleticism on the mound. They, the Royals claim that they liked him coming out of Duke um, in the draft. Can they identify those things that he still needs to work on, work on those things and turn him into, because potential-wise, he has the potential to be a mid-rotation kind of guy, maybe even higher than that, if he can recover from this injury, stay healthy, and they can work on some things with him. So... I am, I, I am very excited about uh, his kind of progression here. It puts another guy for us in, uh, you know, low A, high, in A ball, 
that has the potential in a couple years to be an impact on this rotation. So um, it may not be the close to major league ready that they were looking for, but it's a guy that I'm excited about either way. And I'm, I'm glad it's not that close to major league ready guy that they were looking for. Cause that's the line that JJ was putting out there the whole time. And then he actually changed his tune after the deadline had passed and was like, well, you can't be looking just for major league ready and stuff like that. I was like, what? You could have said that the whole time. Like, then why just say doing. it? <laughs> then why did you say it? Honestly, like uh, it's dumb. But uh, yeah, Williams is a good buy low candidate. I think I hope that what has happened is this pitching player development staff has identified stuff in Williams that they can really maximize. This is like the first he's the first test, the first litmus test of, hey, are they going to be able to identify certain traits that they really can help guys make better and then get them on the right track and, and becoming major league contributors. Uh, Williams has a lot of potential. He's a big, tall right-hander, good body. Looks like he's athletic. Looks like he'll have good command once his stuff gets all back from the Tommy John surgery. Really like the idea. And, you know, again, he, he's a buy low candidate. Yes. It's one for one Williams for Barlow, but Barlow's a reliever and Williams has the potential to be back end mid rotation starter. Maybe. We'll see, right? I hope it ends up developing for him. Mike, did you have a thought? Well, I thought they got one other guy in this trade. I thought there was there, a low-level guy they got to. Um, there was there was word of that. Be a guy um, that was still in the Dominican Summer League even. I mean, he wasn't even shortstop. There was word of that. I, I heard that that was the case, but then I also heard that that wasn't the case, that it was misreported that they were going to get something else for him. Well, let me check really quick. I mean, if if they do, it would be a guy that's really in. You know, oh, right! I forgot. I forgot. Uh, early, early. Jesus Rios, uh, really relief pitching prospect. They also got in this draft. No, I sorry. They also got in that trade. Sorry to disrespect you, uh, Jesus Rios. Not a dude who is uh, thought of as a real top caliber prospect. A guy who's pretty long shot to uh, contribute at the major league level. But you never know. That's the thing with pitching. You take what long shot you can get because you can often turn those guys around. If you have arm talent, the right pitching player development can turn you around. Maybe they can get Jesus Rios ready to uh, compete in the major league someday. But he is a relief prospect, a right-hander as well that they also got for Scott Barlow. Sorry, forgot about him. As I said, the Royals also traded cash for Tucker Davidson, left-handed relief pitcher from the Angels. We're not going to talk about that one. He's already pitched once, I think, for the Royals. Um, Got rocked today. Yeah, he got rocked today. Uh, and so we'll see about him. He's a guy who's just more uh, rotation for the bullpen mostly. Mike, what are your final feelings about this 2023 Royals trade deadline and how they, how things went? If I had to give it a grade, I would go with a B. And that's largely because I feel they got a steal in Cole Reagans in the Chapman trade and Nelson Velasquez in the Quas trade. I feel like those were two home runs by this front office. And if those guys can become contributors and even Devin Mann really like him too. any, let me put it this way. If just Reagan's works out as a permanent piece or something, whatever you want to call it in your rotation, that's, that's huge. You won this trade deadline. Okay. If both he and Nelson Velasquez come in and contribute, you've done fantastic. If man does too, holy crap. And then you've got, uh, Hank Williams, who may end up being in your rotation at some point or a reliever for you at some point. Like, I really think, let me put it this way. I ended up being pretty happy with the talent level that they got back. The only reason it's a B and not an A is because you could have gotten more of it with guys like 
Carlos Hernandez, guys like um, Duffy, guys like Olivares. I think there was more guys to be dealt to get more return, but I did. I, I ended up being pretty happy with the return that they got overall. Yeah, I also was happy with the return they got, but I am punishing them a little bit more for not making all the trades they should have made, right? Uh, it's a C-plus for me only because they should have traded Hernandez and they should have traded Olivares. Uh, it kills me, and, and I was torn about this. I, I mentioned this on Twitter. I was really torn because I do like the players that they got. I do think they killed it with some of these trades. I think they I think they were big winners in the Quas trade. I think they're going to be big winners. I think they're going to be winners in the... Uh, I think it's obvious that they were winners in the Chapman trade too, because six years of Reagan's is going to be worth a lot more than 20 innings of Araldus Chapman. And so I think that they were, they were, they won a lot of these trades. The problem is the Royals often take half a loaf when they need a whole loaf. That was the big thing under Dayton Moore. Oh, okay. We'll trade a couple of guys, only the ones we absolutely have to, and that's it, Right. I need the whole loaf. And when you're a rebuilding team that's on pace to lose 110 games this year, you need to go all in on the rebuild. You need to trade Hernandez at his peak value. Right now is almost certainly his peak value, right? There's only a 10% chance he gets any better, okay? Only 10%. There's a 30%, 40%, 50% chance he gets worse, right? I pointed this out on Twitter the other day too. Dylan Coleman is the great textbook example of why you trade Carlos Hernandez this year right? Last year, Dylan Coleman killed it. He was throwing 98. He couldn't be touched. He had an ER under three. He was awesome, right? Hernandez is the same way this year, just as likely as Dylan Coleman to be volatile and go back down again next year, right? And so that's why you trade a Carlos Hernandez at his peak value, because you have four years of control of him. You trade four years of control of a not top-notch reliever, but next to top-notch reliever, and you get a big haul back. And there were definitely calls about Hernandez. I guarantee that, right? Because he's a reliever who throws 100 and has four years of control, and he's cheap. The teams want that, okay? Yeah. Olivares is another guy. He's probably not in the future plans for the Royals. Trade him now, right? His peak, his value will probably never go up either. And so just trade him now. That's my thing. I do like the guys they got, but I think they missed an opportunity with the ability to move more guys. On the roster front, they did recall Cole Reagans. We mentioned him. They recalled him to the major league team. He made another start, and he'll get one in this next series too. Mike, what are your thoughts on the Royals bringing Cole Reagans back up? He had a spot start for the Royals earlier this year, but they brought him back up, and he got one start so far, and boy, did he he spun a beauty. Yeah, uh, wow. The guy was, has been, in his two starts, has been <clears throat> fantastic. Uh, I'm impressed with him. I am optimistic. I'm impressed with the, what the Royals have um, asked him to start doing or, or the things that they've uh, kind of given him to do and change. And I think, uh, I can't remember if it was something that Annie Reagan's or Annie Rogers put out there, uh, that, that kind of talked about the, some of the adjustments that they made with Cole Reagan's, um, you know, adding or having the, him focus a little bit more on the slider or putting a slider in there, I guess. Um, you know, there were kind of some debate. Is he going to keep throwing his cutter? His cutter wasn't very good. Turns it more into a slider. There's a lot more movement to it, but it's still thrown pretty hard. He's just mowing dudes down. The changeup looks really good at times. Uh, he was a little bit uh, down in velocity the last time that he pitched, but I think that was more of the environment that they were pitching in. It was like 95 with 800% humidity or something insane like that. You could see the water vapor coming off the ball and stuff. Um, so, yeah, I am I am more optimistic about Cole Reagan's being a legit front-end starter 
than I am about Brady Singer, Daniel Lynch, any of those guys, the, anybody in the Royal system, period. Um, he looks like the real deal. He looks like, you know, he always reminds me and probably cause he's left-handed and I like his change up. He reminds me of Cole Hamels when Cole Hamels was really good. Um, he doesn't, he doesn't have the command that Hamels had, but the arsenal is somewhat similar in the, in that he's got a really good change up can throw hard for a lefty and, uh, looks like he could be the real deal. Yeah, and it will be all kind of about limiting walks for Reagans. He only threw, he, I think he had one walk in his last yep. outing and was just really dominant in that outing. And you're right. It was a change to the slider. You'll remember when Reagans was brought over, we said his cutter is garbage. Scrap it and give him a slider. Guess what the Royals did? First off, and this is great reporting from Ann Rogers. She, in her piece about Reagan, she said they came to him and asked him, what do you want to do about the fact that your cutter is unplayable? And he's like, I'd like to make it a slider. I'd like to throw a slider. And he's like, great. They're like, we agree. Let's do that. And so that's what they did, right? I'm not saying that you and I shadow run the Kansas City Royals. I'm not saying that. <laughs> but, but we know they're tuning in. So damn but it. But is it a coincidence? <laughs> Let me put my tinfoil hat on here for a second. Is it a coincidence that we say scrap the cutter, throw a slider instead? He scraps the cutter, throws a slider instead. And now he looks like he might be a front end starter. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. And here's the thing. That I think people are saying. People are saying, uh, people are saying that Cal Eldred never did the shit that we asked him to. And now he's like, looking for. they were paying him for a long time. Pay us. We'll give you better stuff than Cal Eldred ever did. Right. Like, uh, anyway, that's just a thought. Uh, other than that roster wise, they did some shuffling of relievers. They, that includes putting Taylor Clark on the 15 day IL. Other than that, it was Jackson Coar and others at Angel Zerper. And so, but up and down, uh, uh, we don't have time to detail every one of those, but uh, sufficient to say relievers were moved up and down. On the field last week, the Royals went four and two, which brings their overall record to 36 and 77. Uh, it was another winning week for the Royals. It started with a three game sweep of the depressive New York Mets. Send them some Zoloft or something because it's getting dark over there. Okay. I listened. Yikes. I watched, I watched the Mets broadcast all through that series. Keith Hernandez was just despondent about because because the trade <laughs> no, deadline happened more. right when we started that series and Hernandez was like how did it all go so wrong like the whole time because <laughs> you're, just laughing. you're just laughing <laughs> I'm laughing I'm laughing I'm like ah. <laughs> you think you could buy a championship you Wall Street douche <laughs> you know that's all that's all I was thinking in my mind it was so funny. And it's one thing to like lament it for an inning. They did it for like six innings straight one day. And then they went back to it the next day. I was like, what are you guys doing? Move on. You're all millionaires. You okay? can hear the producers. Uh, Stop talking. About that. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody tells Hernandez anything in that booth. He does whatever no. the hell he wants. I guarantee. Oh, no kidding. Uh, the Roy anyway, the Royals stretched their winning streak to seven games uh, after they beat the Phillies in the opening game of that series. And then lost the last two. And ultimately the series, Mike, how did you feel? feel about the team's play last week oh i felt fantastic man just like most other people it was so fun to watch competitive and competent baseball which we've said in the past here but freddie for out there hitting the ball bobby witt jr looking like a superstar even uh salvi kind of coming back a little bit and, and getting some hits in there and even melendez looked a little bit better like even guys that aren't playing great at times had really good moments drew waters not playing great threw a guy out at third today um blanco doing little things here and there to help the team win with his speed and with other stuff, uh, you know, fielding the ball too. And so, yeah, it really looks like team baseball and they got some competent starts. Uh, they got a really good one from Brady Singer, a really good one from Reagan's 
Um, even Lyles had a somewhat, you know, Lyles like start, <laughs> um, but you know, they won that game. And so, you know, it's, it's good to see that competitive stuff. Even today, the last two games they lost, they were in it and they're fighting and they're continuing to look like a professional baseball team. And that's fun. It is fun. And, and you're right. It's, it's super tight baseball. It's, you're not seeing the mistakes that they were making three weeks ago. You're not seeing the base running stuff. You're not seeing the fielding stuff. In fact, their infield defense looks like it could be an infield full of gold oh gloves right now. Like Massey mm-hmm. and Witt up the middle. Massey Garcia up the middle was great today. They are looking like gold glovers out there on the infield, at least. The outfield's looking good, too. Dyron Blanco looks good in the outfield. Samad Taylor looks good in the outfield. Isabel always looks good in the outfield. Uh, Melendez threw a guy out at home. Blanco threw a guy out at third. They're gunning guys on the bases in the outfield, too. It's pretty great to see. And... It's just tight baseball. It is team baseball. You're right. Dyron Blanco contributes two safety, excuse me, two safety squeezes that score Samad Taylor both times. Loved those plays. Those are so much fun to watch. You know, Freddie Fermin's out there destroying baseballs. It's great to see. It looks like they're t- they've taken a step forward and the play is just a lot better. And I like that, and especially when it's not a mistake. Yeah, sometimes, you know, Drew Waters is going to strike out because Drew Waters strike out, strikes out. You know, Kyle Isbell is going to struggle with the plate sometimes because he struggles with the plate sometimes. Melendez is going to strike out on high fastballs. This is this is who they are sometimes as hitters or, or players. Uh, Lyles is going to give up home runs. That's his thing, you know, like. Uh, and so <laughs> they are who they are as players, but it's nice to see them playing without the gigantic mistakes that they sometimes make. So with such a with a second consecutive winning week, you know, they're going to have some strong performers. Mike, who was your strong performer for this week? I'm going back to Cole Reagans. I'm. I, his starts are now appointment television, you know, for me. I mean, I watch all the games pretty much, but I get super excited for a Cole Reagan start. And so six innings pitch, eight strikeouts, zero one runs, seven hits and one walk this week uh, in his, in his lone start. And he might've been better in the first one, <laughs> you know, but uh, he was really, really, really good. And I'm just really looking forward to the next time he pitches. I, I haven't been this excited about a pitching prospect since probably Singer had that really good back half of last year. Um, Or you could even maybe go back. I mean, think about before that, before Singer came up and we were like, hey, we think he might be really, really good. Who was the last pitching prospect you thought could be a front end of the rotation guy? Jordano Ventura. Oh, yeah. Gosh, that would be the last one. Maybe, Maybe Danny Duffy. At times we Maybe. thought, you know, Ventura but, though is a prospect that's going on 10 years now, like nine years is probably right around when he started coming up, you know, mm-hmm. 2014, you know? Yeah. And so, yeah, uh, that's, that's rough. But yeah, Reagan's looked great out there. Love seeing that. I'm, t- I'm going back to a guy we had in this list for a strong performer last week because he just keeps hitting and that's Freddie for uh, could have put Bobby Wood Jr. on this. Of course, he's been playing amazingly out of his mind. But for me, and I got to talk about because I just love him. And I, I, you and I said this, he deserved to make the team out of spring training. He he showed the signs that he was going to be ready to play baseball, but he has just crushed it over the last month. Eight for 20 this week, two doubles, two home runs, zero walks, four strikeouts. He will have to walk sometimes. That's going to have to happen. But you know what? He's not striking out that much, and that's huge for a guy like him because he's putting the ball in play and he's putting the ball in play hard. I love to see it. The Royals have such a a diamond here in Freddie Fermin to find a guy who nobody thought was a prospect, who looks like he can really, really hit the ball. And you're like, okay, now we we worried we didn't have an heir apparent to Salvador Perez. Now we have Freddie Fermin. That's huge. It allows them to play Perez at first base right now while Nick Prado's out. And you're not sure if Nick Prado is going to be it 
right? When it comes to first base, if he's going to be a major league contributor, Salvador Perez is over there. He's doing great at first. They have a, this extra guy in the lineup who looks like he can really hit and really carry. It is not a coincidence that since Freddie Fermin started playing more, this offense has looked a lot better. That's a big part of it is how well Freddie Fermin has been hitting and how good he looks at the plate. Not everyone looks good at their plate, on the mound, wherever. Uh, Mike, who was your weak performer for this week? Well, we got to have a conversation about Dylan Coleman. Um, you mentioned him earlier. I, you know, He didn't pitch a ton this week, uh, just two-thirds of an inning. But it was the same disaster that we've seen throughout this year with him. It was walks. It was a hit batter. It was giving up hard hit balls. Dylan Coleman last year was a power pitcher that had control issues. Now he's just a pitcher with control issues. Okay. He has lost a good three, four miles per hour on his fastball. Yes. They're talking about what the, Oh, the slider got better. Well, that doesn't matter when you lose three mile per hour on your fastball. Okay. It doesn't matter that you throw a slider that breaks a ton and never finds the strike zone when you can't throw a fastball past people anymore. So there's real questions on whether Dylan Coleman's going to be a future part of this bullpen. If he can't get that velocity back up to where it was. And they're saying it's a mechanical issue. It's the mechanics that are, that are dropping that it's not medical. According to them, I would wonder if it's medical, if a guy loses that much velocity on his fastball, it has happened to him before. So maybe they'll figure out the mechanics and he'll start throwing harder again. But I don't think we're going to see that this year. I think it's going to have to be an off season before anything might progress might be made in terms of his velocity. I wanted to share these as well. Cause I put them on there. Here are your season totals in major league baseball for Dylan Coleman, 10.8 ERA, 14 walks to 15 strikeouts. That is and, untenable. And that's in something like, that's in something like 14 or 15. Yeah, innings. He's, he's walking, walking a guy, guy in inning. per inning at this point. Yeah. And so that's, that's never going to sustain in major league baseball. Uh, the guy I'm talking about is a guy I have hope will sort of have a better second half than he did in the first half, but he struggled last week offensively. And that's Kyle Isbell. He was two for 15 with zero extra base hits, zero walks and four strikeouts. And today kind of typified the struggles he's been had. He had last week, he got some pitches to hit and he chose to swing at them. They're good swing decisions this last week, or at least today. He just isn't doing much with them. He's popping them up. He's hitting weak ground balls to the right side. You know, he needs to be hitting line drives. Uh, that sort of needs to be a big part of his game because he's not hugely powerful. And so I don't know, maybe it's a swing thing. Maybe, maybe he just needs to, he, he has a weird swing anyway. It's, it's like oddly, it's almost like he's slicing the ball. He's like trying to, it's like what I, what happens when I play golf, right? Which is that I was exactly thinking that (laughs) somehow I managed to go outside in and take an enormous chunk under the ball. A lot of the times just like cut under it is what I'm doing. He's doing a lot of that right now. It looks like. And so I don't know if it's a mechanical thing, if he needs to just work in the cage with a Zumwalt or something for a week, but uh, hopefully he gets back to it and uh, can find a way to grab some base hits uh, moving forward. Mike, all this winning makes my head a little, you know, uh, I love it. Uh, so what was your theme for this week on, on a winning week of Royals baseball? Uh, my theme is separating wheat from chaff because I feel like we're really starting to see what guys are making improvements, what guys are taking steps forward, and what guys maybe aren't uh, going to be part of the next winning Royals team. Um, I'm sorry. Is that an agricultural reference? I don't get that. Yes, it is. Uh, sorry. Uh, will you explain to the, you don't, you don't understand separating wheat from chaff. You want the wheat. I don't want the wheat chaff is chaff is the extra stuff you got to get rid of when you harvest wheat. The wheat is what oh, you want. Okay. The chaff is all, all the right. extra stuff that just gets thrown away or burned or whatever. 
Um, but uh, yeah, so when you're seeing guys like a Dylan Coleman, guys like maybe a Kyle Isbell, guys like maybe a Drew Waters, who aren't really showing that progress, but you're seeing guys like Bobby Witt Jr. take a step forward. You're seeing guys like Freddie Fermin step up. Guys like uh, Dyron Blanco showing at least some value. Maybe he's not a future starter, but he's showing some value. Um, you're seeing Michael Garcia look like he is a legit leadoff hitter. You're seeing all of this stuff. They're, these guys are kind of starting to separate themselves. You're seeing Brady Singer throw his change up a little bit more, right? You're seeing guys really say, hey, I'm, I'm a Major League Baseball player. Some guys have not said that yet. And so they're starting to be kind of a separation between guys on this team who look like they can hang around. And now as the team is getting in guys from either trades or guys are starting to ascend in minor league baseball, you're going to see possibly some of those guys getting replaced if they can't, uh, if they can't hang because Veneciano is going to get a start people. Tyler Gentry is starting to heat up people. Yeah. Nick Lofton is down there ready to go. John Rave is down there. Logan Porter is down there. You know, Angel Zerpa just came up, you know, it's, it's a uh, they, Jonathan Bowen. They may not be like surefire. Oh my God. Yes. They're definitely major leaguers, but right now MJ Melendez isn't that either. <laughs> and, and the question is drew waters isn't necessarily that right now. And so the question is like, does John rave get a chance instead of drew, drew waters? Does, does, does somebody rotate in and maybe Melendez gets sent down or gets more bench time or something like that. So uh, yeah. And this kind of fits in nicely with my, with my theme. And that's, I just changed my theme on the fly, by the way, it's now rotation baby, because the thing that I think has really driven this winning period is, is obviously progress on the uh, part of the offense and some decent pitching performance. But I really like the con- contribution from guys like Samad Taylor and Dyron Blanco and Matt Beatty. Matt Beatty was good today. And Matt Duffy and things like that. Matt, Matt Beatty's been really good when he gets to play. Now, it's tough because he had that concussion. And, you know, right when he seems to get going, something happens to him. Uh, but Q, I mean, I'm going to call him Q, uh, Matt Quatero. Uh, said that uh, what he was going to do was create a lot more rotation in the lineup. Guys were going to play more frequently. It was going to be matchup based. And we're seeing that bear fruit right now, right? Dyron Blanco is playing when he can be successful and he's being successful. Samad Taylor is doing little things to help the team succeed. Matt Beatty comes in and he has a good, good day hitting. You know, it's like we might be seeing them find that excess value by just understanding what the best way to put role players into positions to be succeed. And I love seeing that. I love that. Like we're a team that is a 26 man roster and we're trying to make everyone on that roster. And I think that's why you trade for guys like Nelson Velasquez and Devin Mann because they fit right into those kind of positions to do those types of things. Right. We, we try to imagine like with these trades, like, Oh, is this guy going to be a superstar? Is this guy going to be everyday player? I'm not even trying to think in those terms, right? I'm trying to think in like, what can this player do well? And does that fit what we already don't have, right? Like, And so Matt Beatty is a great example of that for me. I heard somebody diss Matt Beatty on Twitter today. And I was like, why would you do that? This dude's hitting over, has an over 800 OPS for the Royals this year. Like maybe Matt Beatty, a guy who at one time had some juice as a prospect, Maybe the the thing is, we're just, we're going to be the team that finds the right role for him. We're going to be the team that helps him figure it out, right? It doesn't have to be that Matt Beatty needs to be a superstar. It doesn't have to be that, you know, Devin Mann needs to be a superstar. They just need to be good at what they do and fit into this 26 man puzzle. And that's what Royals fans need. They need to start thinking that way. Like 
your superstars aren't coming to you in a trade situation like that. They are Bobby Witt Jr. and Vinny Pasquantino and Michael Garcia. You know, they're those types of players, possibly even a Freddie Fermin, if he can continue to hit like this. Um, those, those, and then you put those role guys around them. That leaves five spots, four spots, five spots in a lineup that you got to fill. You fill those with guys like that. I mean, look at the Phillies today, right? Like they have no pitching staff, but they look at their lineup. They have one superstar, Bryce Harper. Okay. Other than him, they have a whole bunch of role guys, quote unquote, a whole bunch of guys who you'd be like, okay, yeah, he's a starter on most MLB teams, but they're not superstars. Brandon Marsh is pretty good. You know, Kyle Schwarber can hit. But look at look at who hit the big home run but, for him. You know, today. Stott. Always, I mean, he's uh, that guy's got <laughs> he's got right. role. Bryson Stott. Uh, Alec Bohm has been really Alec good this Bohm. year. But a yeah. lot of this, he's good. Yeah, but this is what I'm saying. Like a lot of good teams, and these were the Rays teams of you know five six years ago. They were just full of these role players. They were still 95 win teams, but they were like a bunch of guys. They would just you would never heard of. They would just fit them in the right position. And then you look at the end of the year and it's like, oh, that dude has an 850 OPS. Why? Well, because he only hits against lefties who throw 93 to 94. You know, like they know how to deploy these guys. And that's what's really being successful right now. They seem to be having a lot of success with the type of rotation they're doing. And I like that. Royals Weekly is brought to you by Knapp Family Wealth. Mike, can you think of anything more important than securing your financial future? Telling the people close to you how much you love them yeah that doesn't seem like you really how, how else are you supposed to loop them into your multi-level marketing scheme there it is that's you there we yeah <laughs> it's a reverse funnel uh securing your financial future is one of the most important steps someone can take for themselves and their family and nap family wealth is ready to help you pursue it <laughs> This isn't some big faceless corporation we're talking about here. Knapp Family Wealth is run by JC Knapp. He's a huge baseball fan and he's been helping people plan for their financial futures for 20 years. He can help with retirement planning so you don't have to work until you're dead, education planning so your kids learn to read good, investment management so you get all of that money out of your mattress and get it working for you. Don't spend another day thinking you've got it all figured out because trust me, you don't. Check out Knapp Family Wealth at knappfamilywealth.com. That's K N A P P familywealth.com. Securities and advisory services offered through LPL Financial, a registered investment advisor, member FINRA slash SIPC. The Royals have been hot lately, winning, I forget, I think it was uh, nine of their last 18, but they've definitely won, what, seven of their last nine. And looking like an actual Major League Baseball team, which is nice. Uh, The questions we'll explore in this week's Spotlight segment are, where did this come from and will it last? In the last two weeks, the Royals are sixth in weighted runs created plus as an offense in that time. They're 21st in ERA and 4.7 at 4.75. Mike, let's start from the beginning. Where is this improvement in play coming from? Well, I think it's mostly from young guys that we hoped would be good early on, now showing that they have taken a step forward. Yes, we're talking about Bobby Wood Jr. Yes, we're talking about Freddie Fermin, who they finally are letting into the offense more. Garcia is now more comfortable and looking like Michael Garcia of the, we've seen it coming up through the minors. Even Michael Massey is coming up with some big home runs, although he may not be hitting quite as much as the volume that you want. He's, he's putting some out. MJ Melendez even had a better week this week. And so I think it's those guys stepping forward along with Brady Singer, maybe taking a step forward and uh, Lyle's looking a little bit better. They're not getting those disastrous starts that they had at the beginning of the year from guys like Lyles. Granke has been, you know, hit or miss. He was, wasn't great today, but competent pitching 
plus the step forward in the offense from those young guys is huge for us. Um, and I just keep thinking, imagine if Vinny Pasquantino was also in this lineup, that could be even another boom for them. So I think it's mostly because of those guys. Thanks, Bobby. I think you got to add Freddie Fermin to that list too. He's a guy who's really been car- helping to carry this offense over the last couple of weeks. I'm also interested in, like I said earlier, the role players. I think they're they're doing a great job with guys like Blanco and Beatty and stuff like that. And it's interesting to me how they're all doing that little thing that they do well, well. So Blanco's coming in and running the base as well. He's playing the outfield well. Samad Taylor's coming in and running the base as well and playing the outfield well. You know, they're, they're, they're scrapping hits here and there where they can, but they're doing a lot of other small things really well. And it's not just that they're doing the small things well. They're also not making mistakes, right? And so you might see Melendez make a mistake out in left field, but you don't see Samad Taylor out there making mistakes in left field or Tyron Blanco making mistakes in right field, right? These guys are actually helping limit runs from those pitchers and guys like Lyles and stuff like that with good defense. And then they're also not getting thrown on the bases. They're taking extra bases. I think what Samad Taylor had an infield single the other day where he stole second and then stole third. And then somebody like either sacrificed him home or I think they sacrificed him home or some, somehow he ended up getting home. It was like a, a run entirely manufactured by Samad Taylor himself. Right. And so it's one of those things that those role player guys, it's getting better as a team is not just about the top guys getting better. Right. So Bobby getting better helps, you know, Garcia hitting well helps Massey hitting well helps for helps. It's also about those guys at the bottom of your roster, raising the level of play from the bottom of your roster. Okay. So you're not making big time mistakes. You're not going to be, you know, minus a half war for the guy in left field. He's going to be a one and a half war player instead. It's something like that. Like I, people really undersell the degree to which the bottom of the roster is the one actually controlling whether or not you win or lose. And let's not forget, improving the bottom of your roster is much, much cheaper than improving the top. Yes. Okay, so if you want to know how do teams that don't really spend a whole lot of money end up winning a bunch of games, it's because they improve the bottom of their roster. Yeah, and that's something the Royals really have always needed to do. I mean, Bobby Wood Jr. is great. He's homegrown. Vinny Pasquantino is good. He's homegrown. These guys are good. Freddie Fermin, homegrown, good. You know, all this sort of stuff. It was always the back half of the rotation, the bottom half of the roster that was just sinking them. And I think now they're understanding and and this this coaching staff is doing a good job of getting a lot more out of the bottom of the roster. I must say it. Having Nippy, Nicky Lopez not hit may not be a bad thing for this team. <laughs> yes. Uh, I'm just saying it. Well, yeah, that's, that's honest, right? Uh, Mike, do you think this winning streak represents actual progress from the team or is it just random variance? I think there's a bit of both to that. And this is where I think Royals fans, we have to temper our expectations a little bit. You have to remember that seven game winning streak came against the very mediocre Minnesota twins who I know are leading the division, but they are not a great team. Um, I think they're actually underperforming a little bit, but they're not doing great right now. The Mets who (laughs) were, as you stated earlier, were just in a, are in a disaster space right now. A damn funeral procession. Malaise is, the, is a terrible. Yeah. And, and, and then, you know, you had, who, who was that after that? Phillies. Oh, eh. No, there was one other one because we're seven games. Oh, there was one other one. Oh, no, it was, no. A, it was yeah, one win from the Phillies. Um, yeah, one win. And then the Phillies. And the Phillies are a, you know, a solid team. And so, you know, we struggle a little bit more in that. But the fact that you're seeing this competent baseball, I think, is real. I think the competence of the baseball is real. I think those younger guys have gained a lot of confidence. I think that they are all 
steadily making improvements Not all of them, but a lot of them are steadily making improvements. I think Bobby Witt Jr.'s improvement is real. And if he can keep that steady approach going, he can help carry an offense. I want you, I just want to, I, I love dreaming about this. I love dreaming about a Bobby Witt Jr. hitting second and Vinny Pasquantino hitting third right behind him. And both of them having that approach. And I mean, we, Michael Garcia leading off Michael Garcia, Bobby Witt Jr., Vinny Pasquantino, you know, it, you know, maybe it's Salvador Perez next year, or maybe it's not hitting fourth, but you've got three guys that you th- feel really good about at the top of your lineup uh, starting next year, assuming everybody is healthy and, you know, really making that progress. And, and I think that's, I, so I think it's both. I think, yes, we hit some not great teams at a good time, but I do think those younger guys are taking a step forward and throw Brady Singer's name into that as well. Yeah, that makes sense. There's definitely improvement happening there. And we can point to things like the lowering of the strikeout rate that has been hugely important to the offense growing and, and being more successful. And that's coming from guys like Brady Singer or Brady Singer, Bobby Witt Jr. That's coming from Kyle Isbell. That's coming from that's coming from getting some guys out and some guys in. Nick Prado's not in there right now. That's helping the strikeout rate a bunch. Right. Like and and you know, instead Salvador Perez is hitting for and, and Freddie Fermin is seeing more time and they're not striking out as much. And so there are definitely things happening that are improving this team and it, some of it is individual guys improving. And I like that a lot. Some of it is just finding the right guys to play. I like the fact that Dyron Blanco is getting more playing time. I like the fact that Samad Taylor is getting more playing time. I think that's hugely important. I think what's going to end up happening is you'll see both of these, these things converge as the Royals start to understand, Hey, We've given Melendez a lot of opportunity and he hasn't really taken advantage of it. We need to start getting someone else in there. Hey, we've given Drew Waters a lot of opportunity and he's not really taking advantage of it. Still striking out 35% of the time. We need to start seeing somebody else in there or Kyle Isbell or whoever. Velasquez will get a chance eventually. John Rave will get a chance eventually. Tyler Gentry will get a chance eventually. And then you'll see like, okay, who's the actual right guy? It's weird because it's almost like a combination lock. You just keep rotating numbers until the dude decides he actually wants to take the job. You know what I'm saying? That's what's going to start happening as Melendez and Waters and some of these other guys, if they don't continue, if they don't, if they continue to not improve and play better, then eventually it'll be Tyler Gentry time and some of these other guys. Mike, obviously the offense is a big part of what's happening. Is this the offense you expected at the beginning of the year? You'll remember that we predicted that the offense could be a top 15 offense. Haven't shown it up to this point, but is this the type of offense you were expecting? Not, not really, because I thought that Vinny Pasquantino would be a big part of that offense, you know, and he's hurt. Uh, I also thought Salvador Perez would be a little bit better than what he's been. I really thought that top 15 offense would rely on a Bobby Witt Jr., a Salvador Perez, a Vinny Pasquantino really driving it. So far, really, it's just Bobby Witt Jr. and the step that he's taken forward. I didn't see a Dyron Blanco coming up and contributing, a, a Samad Taylor, those types of things. I saw, you know... I thought maybe Drew Waters would come back and be a little bit more effective than what he's been. So it's not happening the way that I thought it would have happened, but this is the type of offense I thought they could have. I really, we thought they could be a top half of the, of major league baseball offense. And I think now when they're really putting it all together, they can be, it's going to be a little bit more small ball-y than what I would have thought, uh, especially with, without Vinny. Um, but that's fun baseball and that's productive baseball. And, and I will take it all day. If that's what they end up being, that's fantastic to me. Yeah. It might be a little weird. I'm uh, today in the first inning, they scored 
They just kept three. station to station singles, mm-hmm. and they scored three runs, basically. Now, they did leave some guy on, guys on base. It would have been great if somebody had hit a three-run home run in there somewhere. Uh, but, you know, it didn't happen, and that's okay. But that might be who they are, at least for the rest of this season. When they get Vinny back, they'll get a little bit more of that home run power. But it's always going to be hard to be a real home run hitting team inside Kauffman Stadium. And so they might have to be a team that hits doubles, a few more home runs, and that sort of thing. But you definitely like to see them a lot of guys sort of contributing and putting the ball in play. And that's what, that's, what's hugely important for them. Yeah. It's sort to me, it's sort of the offense. I, I thought would, we would see again, like you, I thought Vinny and Salvi would be more a part of the offensive production. Uh, but I did anticipate a more rotational style of play, a more putting guys in better positions offensively. And I think that's what we've seen over the last couple of weeks. You're seeing guys like, contribute who are just role players, bench players. I don't want to call them bench players because in a rotational system, they aren't on the bench. They're playing two to four times a week. They're put in a position to succeed depending on who they're facing and things like that. And I love to see that, right? Matt Duffy having a decent year because he only faces lefties and stuff like that. And so it's that that's really helped bolster that offensive surge from guys like Bobby Wood Jr. And to me, that's what's actually contributing or, or creating this offensive explosion along with guys like Freddie Fermin and stuff like that. We've talked about what created this this surge in winning. Mike, what do the Royals need to keep the winning going? Uh, they need to pitch to keep the winning going. Um, that'll be the that'll be the downfall of any sort of production here. I mean, you saw it today. We jump out to the three zero lead. By the bottom of the first, it's three three. I mean, we you know there are so many ways for this pitching staff to go sideways because the starting pitching isn't all that reliable still. And the relief pitching now is yeesh, real bad. Uh, I don't think Jonathan, you know, as much as I re- love and really thought Jonathan Easley could be something, I don't know that he's anything you want to write home about. You know, you don't want to give a lot of innings to Whitgren. You know, Davidson, I don't think is any good at all. Uh, and so, yeah, real th- after Hernandez and uh, who else is the best? The, Austin the Cox is looking. Okay I, I do there. like Austin Cox. I think he's got a future in, in Major League Baseball. Um, after those guys, though, bullpen's real sad. So they've got to continue to get competent starting pitching from Reagan's Singer, and then for Lyles just to be kind of a, as close to Major League average as possible, and Granky to be pitching in big ballparks and and not giving up home runs to uh, to hopefully have a chance to play some successful baseball moving forward. At least winning, if they want to win. Not that winning matters at this point, but. It matters to my psyche. So yeah, it does matter. Uh, and so I want to see him win as much as possible. But I think you're right. I think Alec Marsh will be a big part of that uh, uh, factor equation as well. Is he going to, you know, turn the corner and stop allowing so many walks and home runs and things like that? And, you know, there's a whole conversation to be had about what Alex Marsh, Alec Marsh needs to do to be successful. Uh, but I wonder if they're sort of checking out, like, can he be a starter? Will he be a guy we have to put in the bullpen? It wouldn't surprise me if he goes to the bullpen when the next guy comes up in the rotation, if it's Veneziano or if it's a, you know, uh, who's that other guy, uh, Bolin or something like that. Uh, we'll see on that. But, um, you know, he's a guy who you li- I, I like the idea of him as a starter because he has so many pitches, but he'll be a big part of that, whether or not they, they can be successful enough in the rotation to actually give them a chance to win moving forward. I'm a little bit worried about the offense too. I know that they're the ones surging and driving this winning, but they look like they will be a little feast or famine to me 
because they put so many balls in play and they rely on the ball in play. They are not walking more. That is not what's driving. I did a, I, I looked the other day during this offensive surge, they're dead last in a walk rate at 4.6. And so they're not like getting more patient in terms of taking pitches outside the strike. They are getting more patient in the terms of like, I think they're going deep into counts a lot more often. They're swinging at better pitches and stuff, but they're putting all of them in play. They're yeah. not walking a ton. Well, even so, Taiwan Walker today got was getting rocked by us, still went into the seventh. Yeah, you know. <laughs> that's the thing. They're not they're not taxing pitchers in that same way unless they're scoring runs. You know, typically for like a really successful offense, you would think, okay, we're gonna walk a decent amount, we're gonna get the starter out, and we're gonna go after the bullpen. That's old school to some degree because bullpens are so specialized and good now. But you don't necessarily that you know, it doesn't mean you want to do the reverse and like never walk and always swing, you know, like and so I'm a little worried that they might be feast or famine on the offense. I think they're going to have to continue to be as patient as they've been and maybe even more patient. And maybe that means guys like Waters has to find a way to bring that strikeout rate down. You know, like they can't be swinging constantly uh, and, and hope that that will be a successful strategy because we know that it really isn't. It's more boom or bust. Yeah, you'll go on a hot streak like this, but walks don't slump. And that's, that's you know, a kind of a key maxim for offense. The Royals continue their East Coast swing with a trip to Boston for four games before heading back to Kansas City for a weird two-game series against their in-state rivals, the St. Louis Cardinals. Mike, tell us about the boys from Beantown. The boys from Beantown. Uh, the, the Boston Red Sox are 57-53, and 53, which is good enough for last in the AL East. Yucky. Uh, there's some people who are pretty pissed about what's going on in Boston, too. Um Pretty, pretty pissed about what happened during the trade deadline and that sort of stuff. Uh, but in that first game, it'll be Cole Reagans versus, I think it's Brian Bellow. Is that Brian, you think? You sure it's not Brian Fellows? Hi, <laughs> I'm Brian Fellows. Shout out to anybody who gets that old school SNL reference. Um, 24-year-old right-handed pitcher out of the Dominican. 3.79 ERA and a 1.24 whip. He throws a 95-mile-per-hour sinker. That's pretty. That's pretty fast for a sinker. Uh, change up four seamer and a slider. His expected ERA is a little bit higher at 4.17. So he, and he lives kind of, uh, steadily on the ground ball. Um, the Brad Keller, if you will, of the Boston Red Sox rotation, much, much better than that. Yeah. But, but, but maybe better than him. Um, in the second game, it'll be Brady Singer versus one of the greatest names for a pitcher. You're going to hear Cutter Crawford. Great name. 27-year-old right out of Florida Gulf Coast with a 3.62 ERA, 1.09 whip, so he's doing a good job of keeping guys off base. He's got a four-seamer in the mid-90s, a cutter. Has to with that name, right? He was issued a cutter at birth, okay? Curveball, splitter, sweeper, okay? Big arsenal there. Hitters struggle with the fastball. They've done well against his curveball, so let's hope the Royals can time that up and put it in play hard in the... That's a four-game series in the third and fourth game. The Royals will pitch uh, Lyles in the third game and Alec Marsh in the fourth game, but we do not have probables for the Bo Sox uh, yet. So let's go. Uh, are we at Fenway or is it here? Yeah. Oh, fun. I always like watching games there. Um, so, yeah, I'm excited to see them play against the Red Sox and Fenway. After the Fenway, they come back to Missouri to face the Cardinals, who, as you know, have the best fans in baseball. Uh, they are 40, number, number one. one. Best pizza too. Mm, just love a, that St. Louis cracker. Oh my god, that pizza! Uh, 
49 and 63 are the greatest uh, fans in baseball. Uh, they're getting good offensive seasons from Paul Goldschmidt, Nola Gorman, Nolan Arenado. The offense really isn't the problem for them. They're they're doing a decent job there. The issue is pitching, right? It's been mediocre at best. They're getting good seasons from Jordan Montgomery, who now plays for Texas, <laughs> and Miles McCow. What is it, Michaelis? 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 Uh, but horrific years from Adam Wainwright and Matthew Liberator. I'm gonna I'm gonna pronounce this right. Liberatora? Liberator? I don't know. How to- Liberator, I no uh, but I do remember the name because he was supposed to be a big time front end material guy for them drafted high in the major league baseball draft. Um, but he has not had it uh, so far this year. We'll see who the Royals end up facing in that series. The Cardinals not having a great year. Uh, you hate to see it. We'll end this week's episode. Like we end every episode with our just about outside segment where we talk about something that's interesting to us outside the world of baseball. Mike, what has been in your life for the last seven days? I really struggled with this week's because I haven't done much this week. I played some golf, but, you know, we've talked about golf before. Um, Yeah, I didn't have much going on. So I decided to think of, okay, what's like one of my favorite places to eat that maybe not everybody has access to all the time? Um, And so I decided to do a Ginger Sue's appreciation discussion. Ginger Sue's is a a diner, I guess you would call it. It is a breakfast place. Mostly we have one here in Lee summit. I know there's one in Olathe as well. Ginger Sue's in my opinion is the best breakfast you can get. It is fantastic. So if you get a chance to come out to Lee summit, go to ginger Sue's. If you happen to be in Olathe, go to ginger Sue's. It will change your life. I love their breakfast potatoes. I love their biscuits and gravy. They just do so many things very, very, very well. And, oh, my God, I love it so much. I might go there tomorrow morning now that I'm thinking about it. That's my last full week off of school. So I'm going to hit up Ginger Sue's this week. You want to go? Maybe. I'll have to look at my calendar. I'm going to look at my calendar. I work. I I have have what's called a job. And so, you know, I got to do that. (laughs) We'll see. Uh, I'm talking about something that is also food related, but it's like a contraption I just used for the first time that has now revolutionized my life. And that is, have you seen those like chimney uh, grill starter things? They like stack the charcoal. Oh yeah, I have one. I just used one for the first time. All right. You, uh, actually, I think I gave mine away. I, I don't have a, a charcoal oh, right. grill anymore, gas. but I used to I just have used one. one for the first time because yeah. we grilled today and it was so easy. Like yeah, they're great. <laughs> I just, I loved it so much. And so I had to throw it in there. This is like the thing that's on my mind right now. Uh, Super easy to use. You stack the charcoal, you put some newspaper or something underneath, you light it, and boom, physics takes over, okay? I don't know how. Maybe it's magic. I'm not sure exactly. <laughs> but somehow this this charcoal starts to light immediately, and then boom, 20 minutes later, you have ready-to-use coals. They're perfect. They're hot. There's like it's, it's great. So we just cooked steak on it with some zucchini corn feta, and it was amazing. Uh, it was just a fantastic meal. Love this chimney starter. Going to start grilling a lot more as a result of it because now the coals are just so easy. It's all just so easy with this thing. And I still get the charcoal taste. You know, I don't have to cook with gas like, you know, Captain Suburbs over here. Uh, and so, you know, I'm lo- loving the charcoal grill. The thing, the thing that it doesn't do, the thing it doesn't do is clean up the ashes from the charcoal, which is why you I stopped what? using charcoal. Lazy. All I think is lazy, lazy, lazy. You are not wrong about that. Cleaning up the ash on the charcoal grill is not that tough. And so I'll take that for a good charcoal-y, smoky flavor from my food. And I'm going to use that chimney starter because it's the greatest thing that's ever happened to grilling. 
The greatest thing that ever happened to baseball is definitely not the Kansas City Royals, but hopefully they'll do a lot more winning this week, and you and I can talk about more winning next week. We'll be here whether they win or lose. Until then, be good to each other. And go Royals! For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.